Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, welcome back to True Crime Archives. Hi, everyone. I'm trying this new thing of not like yelling into the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) So this week we have something a little different. We're going to do like kind of a recap update on a few of the cases and a few of the topics we've talked about. This was just something we decided to do once we hit 10 episodes. I think now we have like 12 or 13. This is really focused on the first 10. There's not a whole lot of updates, but we have a small update on three of the cases. So we're going to recap and then tell you the update and dive into. I did some deep dives on um, Mm. another of the topics we've talked about. The first one we're talking about, this was our seventh episode, so week seven, was Darlene Crashock. If you will remember, she was the Army CID, so this was taking place in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs in 1987. 1987. She was 20-year-old. Yep, 20-year-old active duty soldier. She was stationed at Fort Carson, so it's pretty pretty big uh, Army base, right? I don't think we... Yeah, yeah, it's a good size. Yeah, pretty. it's one of the bigger ones. I think it's one of the more well-known ones. She was found behind a Korean restaurant. She had gone out uh, partying with her friends that night, if you guys will remember. Uh, And this was uh, one of the genetic genealogy ones. That was really what solved this case. (laughs) Yeah, so they did a couple things, right? They also experimented with the phenotyping. Is that what it was, right? Trying to... Right, this was the phenotyping one. Mm -hmm. Because they had a profile... And they were able to, in, in, in the early days, or I guess the early 2000s, uh, before they solved this one, they were able to say, okay, it's a profile of a, what was the profile now? I can't remember. Like a, it was a, male that they ma- got, a male. Yeah, it was in 2011. Oh, they, they, they reopened it. Oh, it was 2004, right. 2011, they, they reopened it. They were able to develop a composite, like a picture, mm-hmm. a photo, what what it would look like. I remember you posted on Instagram and, and had people decide what, what the photo of the bad guy and the photo of the phenotype. Pretty much everyone said uh, no. I think only like one person said that they thought it looked yeah. similar. Yeah. And I think when we recorded that episode, I forgot like at the in the beginning, I said we were going to say if we thought and we mm-hmm. never said that. Yeah. I didn't think it looked like them. I didn't think <laughs> it looked like and, him So either. they did that. I could see like stereotypical, like mm-hmm. or not stereotypical, like but typical male yeah. White male, it kind right. of. But. And at the same time, CID did a $10,000 reward. That didn't really reveal anything. No, the phenotyping didn't bring back any information at all. No, but eventually they got DNA profile. Right, and they were using the genetic genealogy. Right. And this is the one where they actually picked up his cup from like a fast food restaurant. Right, they tracked, they the genealogy tracked it back to a particular suspect. Yeah. and so, I, so then they said, well, let's go get some DNA. So I did do a little bit of a deeper deep dive into mm. genetic genealogy. And I actually went to the Parabon Nanolab uh, website. And it's pretty cool because it 
it's kind of tailored to law enforcement now. Like it's got mm-hmm. ads and like little snippets all over it about law enforcement. They're, they offer like a class that law enforcement can actually take to like learn more about it. Because mm-hmm. it's it's something that you can do on your own too. Like you don't necessarily need them as what it seems like. They have like this snapshot. Like you can go on the website and it's a snapshot genetic genealogy. And that started yeah. in May of 2018. So it has... Provides the genealogy, phenotyping, and kinship and inference, which just determines your relatives to a, to six degrees. So you can like go on the website and look at it yourself. It seems like it's pretty cool. And then they also like have a definition of how it's different from CODIS. So like I think you were explaining CODIS before. Yeah, that's just that is all known bad guys. So when you get arrested and go to jail, you get booked, you get your DNA taken, and it's on file. So when you're, so if you're if you're a bad guy for the first time, <laughs> your DNA is not on file. Right. So if in the military with what you were doing, did you guys have to upload things into CODIS or is it just do you we, guys we have sent, separate? We sent it in. Oh, you sent it we in. We took the DNA swabs and then we sent it in. So you still have to do that. Yeah, I don't. That's I don't cool. know. Like, it was advanced in that like fingerprints we could hit send. They were electronic. You could hit send and it would go to the FBI database. Right. But the when I had left the DNA. Um, was mailed in. I remember, were we in South Dakota or was it Massachusetts? We went into the BX one time. I got, fin- I have the card actually. It was in the stuff. Oh, it was I got a, like fingerprint. It was security it, it forces. It was a or community was it, was policing thing, right? It was a community policing thing where you, w- yeah, we you get this little card and you put mm-hmm. a photo on it and you do your fingerprints. And in case... It's kind of weird if you think about it, right? In case anything happens to you, then we have that to give to the police. That's the whole idea behind that. Oh, was that not on base? That was, was on that? base, yeah. Oh, it was on base? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. So it was security forces? Yeah, I was in charge of crime prevention at the time, so it was my program, yeah. In South Dakota? I think it was I South rem- Dakota, I yeah. remember you did- uh, Oh, no, actually, it was Texas. Name? Was it Texas? Yeah, so I did McGruff the crime McGruff. dog in, in, in <laughs> South Dakota, but this was in Texas, the- but I was. Didn't you do I was it in already, Texas too? I, no, I was a federal agent by then. I was special oh, agent yeah, yeah, at yeah, that point. Right. Yeah, uh, I was. I was traumatized by yeah, McGruff. Yeah, McGruff. <laughs> so I was before I became federal agent. It was regular base police, and I was running the crime prevention program. Mm-hmm. And we had whatever I guess police week or whatever was going on at the time, and we had a big festival. One of my responsibilities was to identify people that wanted to volunteer and wear the McGruff crime dog outfit <laughs> for a couple hours here a couple hours there so i you know i had to take it out of the closet go send it to the cleaners and you know dry cleaners get it and then and then people would come get it and they they put it on for a couple hours here and there and and you were at the thing it was See, in your office yeah, no hold on before, before that oh. you you at the festival you saw mcgruff and everything you were young mm-hmm. and then one day you came in to my office to see me <laughs> and there's the mcgruff the Dirty old sweaty thing that's on hanging on my coat rack, waiting for me to take it to the cleaners, <laughs> hanging there. And you saw it, and you—I can't remember—you got hysterical, you got you cried, you were I upset. remember. You, you were upset, <laughs> and I—I I probably gave you the old, the old Santa Claus. Well, Santa needs helpers, right? Warning: well, If there's any <laughs> kids in the room, Dad. Hey. Hey, well, McGruff needs helpers too. You cried. You got upset because you realized it was fake. <laughs> yeah, so I, I specifically it. remember. Oh, jeez. I, yeah, I okay. remember that. <laughs> so, a little trip down memory lane. All right. Okay. Where, so where, yeah. Where? So yeah. So the fingerprint 
and I even think we put a piece of your hair in there too, in in that little yes. kit. So those little pieces. I have piece, that. Yes, you still I have, have that. It was in the the stuff that you guys gave us from storage. Oh, you gonna are you gonna take a picture and post it? Maybe. I'll see if. Yeah, I it's I remember I re stocked everything yeah it's my, like a crime prevention i'll see if, i'll go through all my boxes just yeah. for you guys and show it's like you a it's, crime prevention thing i don't know if they do those anymore but yes yeah, so the idea is if something happened to you and you got kidnapped we could we'd have that for the police that's, i mean it's not a bad idea yeah but it's crazy now once you think about it I mean, yeah. uh, right. terrible idea okay okay so so they <laughs> where were we the, the dna so Oh, they, how they track back? Yeah, more d- yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. what, that's what you asked me. Yeah, <laughs> that's so where we, we started. so we send in, we would send it in, we'd mail it in. But anyway, so this DNA stuff that we're talking about, people voluntarily submit their profiles that they get from another service to to this Jed match, and then they collate it into even a bigger pool. And this is where they've been successful, and they kind of they they can track back the family right yes so it's i'm trying to see where i have it hold on i had it it was 155 okay so they specifically so parabon nanolab specifically through the snapshot genetic genealogy they've identified more than 155 people of interest mm-hmm. and that's that's recent that's up to date so that's over one person per week yeah um since it started just in general, that's on average on since it started. I'm bad at math. <laughs> that's in general. <laughs> but so in a, that's that's pretty awesome. So in our episode seven, then the one we're talking about, Crash Darlene Crashock was was murdered. They they tracked it back. They did the genealogy and they tracked it back to a suspect who was in the army and was stationed or, or was living in the Colorado area. At the or, time, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he, he was. They he found was he was still, stationed at Fort Carson. Yeah. Right, and he ended up living like when they were able to uh, find him. Right. He wasn't living that far from where it took place. Right. So the police. I think I remember talking about this. Now the police said what probably went to Army CID. Said, "Hey, this is the suspect we have." And they probably went and looked up their record and said, "Hey, guess what? He used to be a soldier back in 1987, and guess where he was stationed? Fort Carson." So they're like, "Okay." Let's go get some DNA. Right. It was Thornton. This, this he was the, living in Thornton. This is the part that you like where they they go sneak around so, away from the spit. This was the one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they left. I was going to say this was the one with uh, the three different arrests, the three different uh, agencies that arrested him. But yeah, no, the cup. Let's talk about that first. That is, that is cool. So it was a fa- I like was to a- think it was a McDonald's. Here's what I'm yeah. picturing. Yeah, it's a I'm fast food restaurant, right? I'm picturing he ate at McDonald's. He went inside, left his cup, left his stuff because he couldn't be bothered to throw it away himself like a decent person. And the cop just went over and grabbed and it. And they just walked in and grabbed it. Yep, that's exactly what I feel like they didn't even communicate with the inside <laughs> McDonald's people. Yeah, they, <laughs> they could have walked out. They could have done it either way, probably. And I'm picturing, I'm also picturing the employees, the McDonald's employees, like no one's paying attention except the one who watches this person in a suit come in, take it and put it in the evidence bag and then walk out. And the person's just like, what just happened? <laughs> Did I think you see mo- that? I think That's what I'm picturing. I think it's more likely that they had somebody set up ready to go. And you know how, oh, they're like pretending to wash the table next to him. And like they on said, TV. And they said, oh, hey, do you, want, do you want me to get that for you? And they took his trash, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, 
<laughs> walked it past the trash can and out in the back or something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Nevertheless, they got they got the the cup. It was from the cup he was drinking from, and they got his DNA, and it was um, a match. Okay, so now remind our listeners what is important about that scenario. Y- you have to maintain control over mm-hmm. that, right? So you're collecting evidence. You're going to say that this DNA came from this cup that this person used. It's going to be hard if you have to go rifle him through trash if he if he throws it away. Right. Oh, that's another thing they could have done. They could have had the trash emptied, I guess. Uh, like that, go that's through the, his trash. That's the, so that was going to be my next question. No, 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 no. Because you can't prove, you have to be able to prove what cup he put his lips on, right? Right. And if you just, if he threw it away, walked out, and then you go and grab the trash and started pulling the trash, and you're going through all these cups, I mean, the defense could easily say, well, what about all these other cups? You know, maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe one of them is is the one. You know, they just you have to be able to prove. Um, so they had it figured out somehow, where it went from his lips to the straw to their hands. Right. And that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. The undercover stuff is pretty cool. All right. So what's going on now with that case? Okay, so uh, there's not a huge update, but Mm. there is a small update. So Michael White, he has uh, schedules for an in-person hearing, pretrial readiness, and then the trial. So that's May 7th, June 4th, and then the trial is set to start on June 14th. That'll be something to uh, look for. That one specifically... You can actually, I don't know if this is a normal thing or if it's just because of COVID because it wasn't super clear on the website, but you can actually like listen in on the trial. So you can call Mm -hmm. and listen. So I'm going to try and do that, but there's no, uh, it's, it was just unclear on if like anyone can do it, but it was on the website. It was like, you can call and listen to the the trials. So I'm going to try and do that, Mm -hmm. keep up with it and see if I can get in to listen on the trial and see how that goes, and then maybe we'll have we'll probably have like a bigger update. But as of right now, his trial has a date. Okay, when is the date again? June fourteenth is the trial. The trial. Okay. Yeah, and then the pre-trial readiness. That's just them getting ready, I guess. Right. So this pre-trial motions, a few different options. Pre-trial readiness. It's probably the judge and the, and the lawyers all kind of all kind of talking together to get around the table to make sure. Okay. Did you have everything you need? Do you have everything you need? You know, are we talking plea agreement? Are we going to court? Like you one know, last ch- chance for yeah, plea agreement. Yeah, well, or, right, or the double, double check, just make sure everything's ready ready to go. That's really all it is. I wonder what his defense is going to be. Mm. That's what I'm interested because this genetic genealogy stuff seems to, it's, I mean, it's pretty Yeah, because they, they just need to, um, so the, all they have to do is create reasonable doubt. Right. And if it were something to do with the collection of the DNA, that's that's probably that's because that connects them to the to the murder. So that's where they're probably gonna um, attack. Right, yeah. So they'll probably have people from the lab, you know, uh, the people that collected the evidence. They're gonna have all those people in, in court, parading them in court and, and testifying. That will be an interesting one. It'll be. It'll also be interesting to see how long the trial is because there's really not anything other than the, you know, that genetic genealogy. Mm-hmm. So that's not. It doesn't seem like it's going to be that long of a trial. So are we moving on to mm-hmm. the next one? Yep. What's the next one? 
So the next one was Vanessa Marcotte. So that was uh, episode nine. Episode nine, 2016. Mm-hmm. This was a recent one from Massachusetts. Yeah. So this was, uh, we. I think we titled it The Princeton Jogger. She was. Yep. Uh, That's what the media dubbed it. Right. So we copied them. What What is it called when they name murder? Is it just, I don't know. What's it called? Oh, it was on Criminal Minds. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't remember. They were like naming all of the serial killers. Um, anyway, so sh- she was visiting her family. She was a employee for Google, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and she was sh- out running. Yep, in town. Um, on a, it was like in the neighborhood on some back roads. Yeah. And she was brutally murdered. And it seemed like it was a random stranger who knew the area. And it did turn out to be. Yeah, it was a, a, a target of opportunity. A predator. Right. This guy, I think, is a predator. Absolutely. And, the, you know, this was when we were talking about he is trying to, he doesn't, he at least says he doesn't speak English, right? I think yeah. he believed that he does. The, those, this was just good investigative, good police work, so. This was, the, the, he remembered the police officer saw his car yeah. and wrote it down on his hand. Yeah, so they had, okay, so, but they had witnesses first, right? So mm-hmm. someone drives by and he's standing by his dark colored SUV with the hood open and he sees that he has a cell phone, so this witness goes, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't need to help. He's got a cell phone; he can call for help." And then a while later, I can't remember what the it was like two hours two later, hours he later, back. he drives by, and the SUV is still there, and but there's no one there. There's no one there. So then later on, when some tips go out, they say, "You know what? I let me let me call that in." So he calls it in. The SUV gives a description of of a medium. Hispanic or whatever it was. It's a dark color SUV. Dark color yeah. SUV. So that was going on. The same time, like at the crime scene, they collected good evidence. She had fought. She put up a good fight. And you know, the prosecutor even said she helped find the killer. She scratched him pretty good and got DNA under finger, fingernails. He obviously knew that because he tried to burn the um, hands and feet and face, I guess. Yep. And so, gasoline. But, yeah, so so they were able to collect DNA. They were able to collect. They figured out there was gasoline. Then they, they talked to the uh, was a gas station attendant. Yeah, who they sold it to him. Yeah, they so cell they, phone records. Yeah, cell phone records. Right, the, his ATM card was used at that place, and he bought gas just like minutes before or right around the same time. And he was a third party. Uh, delivery yeah so he knew the area fedex and that was one of his routes yep that was his route so they're putting together a good case but what they did was this particular dna was a profile like an ethnic profile i don't know what they called it yeah they called it they i don't think i have the name it was just a profile yeah so they were able to say a hispanic male like they were able to say medium build you know they were able to come up with a with a profile and this was pretty brutal. She remember she, she had a crushing blow. Yeah, crushing injuries, broken nose. Yeah, pretty violent to you her know. throat. Yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty bad one. He was out on the prowl and he found her and he had to like rush her and attack her probably. So yeah, and then you were explaining that this uh, the but you said you know the neighborhoods pretty well. So because I think I yeah, mentioned so, yeah. how did no one hear her? Right. So it's it's a you know. A busy street, but it's rural, and the and the the driveways are set. You know, the houses are set back pretty good, and your neighbors aren't. 
you know, the couple acre lots, so your neighbors aren't right on top of you. So it's easy. You could be sitting on your porch and not even see a car drive by, depending on the time of year with trees and things like that. And uh, yeah, so they had all that good information, and then they come up with a profile. Said it was a Hispanic male. Good. Yes. So it was the DNA was sent to a lab, and a profile was created. And based off of the profile, the suspect was believed to be Hispanic or Latino male in his late 20, 20s to 30s, average height with athletic build, short or shaved hair. So kind of similar almost to the phenotyping, a little maybe not mm-hmm. as advanced version of phenotyping because it does basically well, the this same is, thing. It was able to say short or shaved hair. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know how they do that. This is similar yeah. to like when I, your mom and I did our DNA through... Mm-hmm. I think um, we talked about that briefly yeah, when, we, yeah. when we did this case. You know, it comes back and says, I'm this percentage, this, this percentage, that. But I'm just not really sure how they, they're able to, like, they're really able to get, like, a, a size, a weight. And, the, the, of course, yeah. this, this is when they also, remember I said, this is when there's some other factors, environmental factors. Right. You know, like, did he eat at McDonald's all the time and was maybe obese? Right. That was, that's a bigger, that plays a bigger role in the phenotyping, yeah. Yeah. too. Now they have now police have a be on the lookout. They have a Hispanic male, medium built, dark colored SUV, etc. So this goes out, mm-hmm. you know, to all the police departments and a Massachusetts state trooper was doing his thing and he goes, "Oh, look. Hispanic male, blah 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 blah." And he he didn't have anything to write with, which is weird to me, but he writes down the license yeah. plate number on his hand, and then he goes. they go and track him down, right? Mm-hmm. And he wasn't home at first. The The wife was home, and she tells them to come back tomorrow and to bring a Spanish translator. Bring a st- yeah. Which, I mean, like, okay, she said that. Maybe she didn't know what they wanted. I don't... I, I don't know why she would say bring a Spanish translator if obviously she's talking to them. Obviously, she can yeah. communicate in English. And so they come back relatively soon, and they bring two straight two state troopers, plus a third person work for state police that's a translator, Spanish speaking, Spanish speaking officer, right? We think it could have even been a local cop. We're not really sure. They didn't really say it was a state trooper or not. Right? They just said Spanish speaking. And officer. they bring the stuff to collect the DNA and the paperwork to get consent. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you do you want to give consent? We're trying to, and we talked about this. They probably said, hey. We have a description. You fit the description in your vehicle. We're trying to rule out everybody. Would you be willing to give a, a DNA sample? And he does it, and it comes back as the bad guy. The DNA Match. was under her fingernails. This is mm-hmm. the guy. There's no other way around. Yeah, how do you try and uh, talk away? Oh, that's going to be hard. DNA being under. However, so we're going to you know skip. Long yeah, story yeah. short. He is arrested, and his defense is... The last update we had for you guys was that he's trying to have the DNA thrown out because uh, he didn't understand the cops. He thought he was being forced to give his DNA. He thought that he was going to be taken away unless he gave them his DNA. He's from Puerto Rico, so he's an American citizen. So at first it was like, oh, maybe, you know, that's not even an issue. Right, so he's arguing that... But here, but his wife translated for him. Right, she stepped in because he was. He said he, he said he wasn't understanding the Spanish-speaking officer. He was speaking a different type of Spanish, a weird type of Spanish. He said so. His wife stepped in to help. So he filed a motion to to suppress that, right? Right. 
And I think we talked about... He fired his attorneys also like twice. Yeah. The reason this is important is because if he can get that thrown out, then there's no case at all. Because a lot of the other evidence that they got, they got because of that DNA. Then they started looking into his phone records and that's why they got his phone records and his... You know, yeah, so history. Th- that's gonna it, that's gonna be key, but it's still gonna be hard because they do. You, that's right. They know his, they know his cell phone was in the area, but they also know that this is his his route too. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be real hard. Now, the I think we talked about inevitable discovery. Yeah, because of maybe the cell phones. Did, were the police going to end up at his door anyway? And if mm-hmm. if it if they could prove that that was gonna ha- that that happened or would have happened, then then it would would not be thrown out. Well, the thing that they told him was that they did have a profile. It was you know Hispanic male, twenties to thirties, and that they were just trying to rule him out. So yeah. I feel like they set yeah. that up. Like th- that would be easy for them to say, no. no, we we were just going down the list of all the Hispanic well, males that's in what the I'm area. Saying. What we don't know is, let's say there were. 15 or 20 of these guys that lived in the area and they were just going down the list. Well, guess what? They would have gotten to him anyway. Right. So it's called inevitable discovery. They would have eventually gotten to him just by, just by going through the list. Uh, Well, I feel like that's what I'm saying. Like they set it up to say that in case the defense tries that. Yeah. But the other piece is it's like uh, the fruit of the poisonous tree, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because maybe not the inevitable discovery, maybe that's not the right argument, but the fruit of the poisonous tree if they if that's all they have and and the DNA was uh not collected correctly then nothing else after that is is correct. Right. So that's just a quick recap. Um Yeah, so what's the update? What's the status? So he is still pending a trial. What I was able to find out is there are actually upwards of 40 murder trials that have been pending in that area due to COVID restrictions. So in December, they began the conversation. They wanted to start talking about how to go about, uh, you know, holding the trials. A lot right. of lawyers wanted to completely hold their trial off until the mask mandates were lifted or the mask restrictions in court were lifted because of facial expressions. I mean, OK, so let's talk about that for a second. Common sense reading about it. Yeah, that makes sense. But I really didn't even think that that I didn't even think that played a factor until I read that. Yeah, it's just like when you're interviewing people, right? You want to be able to read their nonverbals. What you don't say is it speaks louder than what you do say. And it kind of, you know, it helps for the jury too to convince the jury, oh, what are you, what are you smirking about? You, you think this is funny? You know, I don't know. I'm just throwing something in there. Yeah, but, but facial expressions, nonverbals are really, really important. So That's I've why been right now. I've told my entire life. Yep. <laughs> yep. What I say, what you, it was what you the, don't the say saying, speaks louder than what you do say. say. Yeah. yeah, another, I was going to say another phrase from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you used to do this to me. <laughs> he just rolled his eyes. <laughs> I still do that. I used mm. to deny it too. Mm-hmm. Listen, the, my childhood is the reason I won't ever get picked to sit on a jury. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone through actually, that once already. Actually, you've been called for jury duty. I have. And I they ask the questions. One of the questions they ask is, do you have any family members in law enforcement or f- like even uh, federal law enforcement? I raise my hand. They ask each of you questions. They got to me and said, who is the family member? I said, my father. I said, what does he do? I said, he's a federal federal agent. And I told them with who. 
and he goes with you know OSI, and he, they go, do he? They ask me specific questions about specific cases, and I'm like, I don't know any of that information. I'm like, I just know what he does. Yeah. And they're like, are you biased? And you said, yep. I well, so in the moment, I'm in a courtroom, right? I'm terrified. They and mind you, they've already shown the case. Okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was it was kind of a scary, sad case. I'm not gonna go into it. So I'm kind of just terrified. I've never been in a courtroom before, and a judge is speaking to me. You know, the way I grew up, I. I just have this yeah. respect for adults and especially law enforcement in, mm-hmm. in a courtroom. So they asked me that question and I was like, what does biased mean? <laughs> yeah. So you yeah, were young. You were like 19, I think. Or 20. That was, I was an assistant at five below at that point. So yeah, I was like 19. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I was so 20 yet. So when you asked what does bias mean, which is fine. <laughs> what they say? They explained it to me and it took me, it still took me a minute. And I think I just said yes, because I was afraid. Mm. I think I was, I was just nervous. So it was, I was sure nervousness and yeah, they, (laughs) they didn't pick me. I don't think I'll ever get picked because of you. But so anyway, I just thought that was funny. Back to the, what we were talking about, the facial expressions. That's what they, some of the lawyers are pulling for their cases to be stalled a little bit longer Mm. until there's no masks. Uh, However, it's Angelo Colin Ortiz. So he is the one. He is was the suspect, the murderer. His case is actually among the two highest profile murder cases. Mm-hmm. They're currently not ready for trial. So they would not be tried this spring, like right now, which mm-hmm. is when they were planning the other ones. Uh, well, what about so, that motion? Is he still trying to... Did, did, was that denied? Yeah, it hasn't been denied yet. It, okay. They're still trying... To, he's still trying to suppress that. He okay. just got his new lawyer's... I think at the like the beginning of last okay. year. So it's really so, kind of still in a holding pattern. It doesn't look like that's going to move forward anytime soon. Okay. So what was interesting to me, though, is among the cases that were called in December that they were starting to discuss, you know, some of those cases, they've been waiting for a trial for five to six years. So it, what I read was that they were pretty eager. So that's interesting to me when it comes to a fair and speedy trial. Mm-hmm. I thought that was. Yeah, you it's usually one of the first things that they waive, you know. Oh yeah, so it's probably waived. Um, now, COVID is, you know, act of God or whatever. But right. these people are on the docket already. When you get um, arraigned, you know, when you brought in, you have the right to speedy trial. I think it's like a hundred days. You know, you got to read the the case law, but it's actually case precedent with it. Where the court said, "Well, this and that and the other thing," and it comes out to like a hundred days. But you can say, no, I want a speedy trial, and then the prosecution has to um, has to be ready to go, right? Mm, yeah. So if you're kind of cool cat and you think they got nothing against you, you say, I want a speedy trial, good chance the prosecution will be like, um, uh, hold on. So Yeah, because there's double but jeopardy it almost, too, right? But the, the thing about it, the, the, defense, the defense wants time to prepare too, and they want time to see what, you know, through the discovery phase, they want to see what the prosecution has so they can prepare their defense. Usually that's the first thing that they waive, their right to speedy trial. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting that they said, you know, five to six years. It's like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that is a long time. So, again, you know, when there is an up, like a bigger update, we'll definitely cover that trial. Right, good. But there's no really telling how long it'll take for him yeah. to get his trial. So the last one, we're just updating, recapping three of them today because that's all we have uh, mm. updates for. Episode is 10. A- episode 10, Angie Dodge. So that was the From 1996. 
1996. So this was the really sad one that mm. um, made me cry. I think I said that it made me cry the whole time. This is there was an episode on uh, was that Investigation Discovery. I don't remember. It was a good, yeah. good documentary. It was this. So there was, you know, someone that was convicted um, and served twenty years for her rape and murder. And then Angie's mom actually, in two thousand eleven, decided to sit down and read the, or not read, watch the confession tapes, mm-hmm. and she came to the conclusion that this man was not the one that. Yeah. So what was? So she had just moved out on her own. She was nineteen or something. Yeah, she so she had literally well she moved out because of the she got into a fight with her mom. Angie and her mom got into a really big fight about uh rules. Oh. Uh-huh. So we it, you did this last time. Don't do this again. <laughs> you did this last time. All right. So So what? The daughter wanted to move out cuz yeah. she didn't want to live under the rules of the parents. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So I get I it. We get the picture. <laughs> we get the picture. Okay. So she moved out. They got into a fight. She moved out. And three weeks, so it was. had been three weeks she moved out. Her mom went over to see her. She went over to see her mom. And they made up. And they hugged, said, I love you. And she went back to her apartment. Mm-hmm. And that night she was murdered. And so what were some of the details about that crime scene? And There was initially, you know, several pieces of DNA that was found at the crime scene. And so... Th- let me start by saying this is another genetic genealogy case, mm-hmm. right? Yep. There was several pieces well, of DNA. Yeah. Eventually, right. Eventually. Right, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they, gen- they the genealogy some, didn't start until They had some way. suspects um, up front. Well, that's what I just said. There was someone yeah. that was wrongly, wrongfully convicted, yeah. right? So originally, this case was not gen- genetic genealogy, but there was several pieces of DNA find out, found at the crime scene. There was semen, hair, blood. Um, there was... Every single person they talked to, they tested. There was, you know, over 100 DNA samples originally in 1996 were tested. So literally, it sounds like everyone they spoke to, they were like, let me get your DNA. Um, So then it's Christopher Tapp is questioned because he's friends with some guy that knew her that committed a similar similar crime. crime, Right. He spends 60 hours. Yeah. Right. I mean, hey, they they want to cover all the bases because they were friends with Angie, too. So, like, they all knew her. Yep. He spends 60 hours of interrogation, multiple polygraphs. At some point, he has a lawyer. The lawyer doesn't stop any of this. let's say that again. 60 hours of interrogation. Mm -hmm. Most people work 40 hours in a work week. Yeah. 60 hours. 60 is what I did. It's all on video. (laughs) Five below. Yeah, it's a little absurd. And the polygraphs, too. There was like 10 polygraphs. And he confessed. Over the course of 60 right, hours. We'll get, to, we'll get to that. But yeah. he confesses. Well, we're not going to go yeah. so deep yeah. into it. Wait, so you're right. You have to go he, back and listen. He, he he confesses and then he gets convicted. Right. He So he gets convicted. He's arrested and charged with first degree murder, rape, and use of a deadly weapon in the commission of a felony. Um, the original friend was never uh, charged and mm. then a year later he's found guilty and sentenced to 30 years to life um you know the death penalty was on the table this was the case that we talked about the yeah, <laughs> the, the death, death penalty, penalty the innocence project so all these things right because they, they joined because what so what happened is angie dodge's mom i think it was almost 20 years later she decides to look at the um film 2011 yeah, yeah so she has this police report and she had the videotape so she decides to review them, and she just sat down. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Okay, so it's still 
It was almost like, 20 fifth, years. Yeah, almost 20 years. Yeah, so, so she he reviews. Yeah, she reviews the tape, or the tape, the tape. And then if you watch the documentary, they show it too. And it's really kind of sad because at first he says, I don't know anything. And, and next, after a while, he says, I'm not sure. Maybe I was there. I don't know what I did. Maybe I was there. And they, I, I did it. Okay, I did it. Right. And they kept pursuing it. And he confessed and he was coerced. It was a bad, bad interview. Bad interview. The way his interview went very much reminds me of the Brendan Dassey interview from. Mm. The Stephen Avery case. Stephen Avery case. That's that. The making a murder. Making a yeah, murder. you never. You haven't watched any of it. You haven't seen the. No, confessions. I haven't seen any updates. No. But no, the the videos. But I'm saying the way Brendan Dassey. For those of you who yeah. know, because pe- more people have seen Making a Murderer. Right. His com- uh, Christopher Tapp's confession tapes are very similar, right. or interview tapes are very similar. So it was very coerced. Yeah, and in this case, though, Angie Dodge's mom says, "Oh my gosh, he didn't kill my daughter." Yeah, there's no way. He so doesn't he, even so he know goes, anything. So he goes on a war path with the police department, and then he, she beca- or she did, she becomes friends with the guy in jail, mm-hmm. and then... Long story short, he ends up getting out. They reduce the rape charge. He's convicted murder, but he's served his 20 years. He gets out. They're working... Uh, but, but how'd they get DNA? They retested the... Yeah, the they clothes. retest all of the clothes. Retest all the clothes and in like get, yeah. late thousands. So, and it's Angie Dodge's mom. It's so it's Carol Dodge. She actually reaches yeah. out to Cece Moore. Cece Moore, Paramount. who's the yeah, who's the big yeah, investigator. No. Right. So she reaches out to her. Um, they do the genetic genealogy. It fails the first time. It doesn't work. And Cece Moore is compelled to k- keep trying. She's like, I'm, you know, I have to do this for Carol. They mm-hmm. they all become close, and she does it a second time, and she ends up finding. Yeah, yeah. She, they they track it back to somebody who's living in the area. Yes, I, was he it lived Idaho Falls. Yeah, he so he was living in Idaho Falls at the time. Right across the street. Right across the street. Right, yeah. Can you imagine that? Right across the street. He yeah, and he he I believe he was interviewed that time, but they didn't take his for some reason. They didn't so test his DNA. The police they they're on a mission now. Right? This was the cool one where we yeah. were on the documentary. Yeah. You can watch it in yeah. real time of them following him and, and his. And, it was him and his son. And there was, so it's a whole new police department now, new detectives, mm-hmm. etc. And so they're they're kind of. They're vying for the credibility of their police department as well, um, right? And so they have a suspect to come up with a plan, and they're they're following that they, they want to see him spit somewhere, and they're gonna go wipe it up. So what is the? I mean, I guess obviously, new investigators taking a look at a cold case. It's a new, fresh set of eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. Is the theory that maybe they've had more education, their newer education? No, no, just fresh set of eyes. Just well. No, that that's most likely to be the case in a lot of these. Because then my question is, is doesn't all law enforcement get continuing education stuff? No, you do, but but sometimes the most relevant, up to date stuff is with the newest people, but not necessarily. Now it could be an older, seasoned person comes in with fresh eyes, but they've had all the updated training and mm-hmm. and et cetera. Just a fresh set of eyes, you know. You can get blinders on, or you become biased, you right. know. And and maybe you, maybe there's one particular person you thought did it, and you've been yeah. pursuing them the whole time, and really it's not that person. You just get fixated on it and bias. So that's all. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they they get his. Yeah. So they track him. They track him. They get the spit. 
And then they get his son to blow on a uh, breathalyzer. So he was driving. He was driving the the, with the police. Would, right, the police were following him, and they said, "Oh, he's got expired tags. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretext to to pull you over." And they said, "Hey, would you mind taking a breathalyzer?" I said, no, no, sure. I'm not drunk. <laughs> Blowing <laughs> DNA everywhere. Yeah. Blowing all over that thing, and they secured it, and, and it wasn't it wasn't the son. Right. And then they get what was cool about this. They did their it was good police work too. They did their background, and you know they learned that he, the bad guy, the the, the dad there, he left the house like almost every day at noontime, and he went to the bank every day for some reason, right? Yeah, that's so, weird. So they're following him. Boom! It sure as heck, there he is at noontime. They knew he smoked too, so like this is great. We're gonna see him throw a butt out. So the first time it happened, they scrambled and they get out of the car. They stop in the traffic in the middle. You light f- everything, and mm-hmm. and he goes, "Wait, is it that one? Is it that one?" There was cigarette butts everywhere, and this goes back to what we talked about. You you can't. They were like, "No, there's no way we're going to be able to say which one it was. We just can't do that." Right. And then they do it again. They go, "Oh, there he is. Noontime. He leaves the house, and they follow him, and they get him. He throws a butt out of the his truck." And they're able to kind of stop stop traffic again and grab it and put it in, in the evidence. So, you know, what's interesting about the, the cigarette smoke. I just a thought because, you know, people smoke their cigarettes and don't even think about it. And they just yeah. toss them everywhere. So, you know, my husband smokes mm-hmm. and uh, he and he has only ever done this because he doesn't like to litter. Mm-hmm. If there's not a trash around, he will like, he'll take out the, mm-hmm. he'll smoke it till the burnt part is out. And he takes like the filter and the rest of the part with him until he has a trash. That's can. a military thing. Is that a military thing? Yeah. You can't, you, yep. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought it's he just thought of that thing. himself. You have to take your butts with you. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of um, a discipline thing. Like if you want to smoke, you get, you got to take it with you. That's funny. I didn't yeah. know that was a military thing. Yeah. I just, he, the way, whenever I, I first saw him doing it, he'd be like, oh, I just, you know, there's not trash around. I'm going to take it and throw yeah. it away somewhere else. Yeah. thought he was just being mo- nice mo- Most people would flick it on the ground. Right. So that's, that's the interesting thing about this is that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, I've never even thought, I'd never even thought about that. Yeah. To do that. So it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, he gets, he immediately confesses. So they arrest him. They bring him in. And he, not immediately, and after like a few hours, he's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I did it. Um, he is going to say that he doesn't remember doing it. But yeah, he no, did. he says, he's, I don't remember if you say I killed her, I killed her. Yeah, so that's going to actually be a part of the my update. So he actually, February 9th of this year, uh, had his, what was it called? He, it was, what, what was it was a plea agreement. He entered a plea. What's that called? Oh, he entered a plea? Yeah. What's Is there a name for that? It didn't say. It just yeah, said a plea pl- agreement. Plea. He's going to plead. Well, I meant the plead. court day, whatever it's called. You know how like there's pretrial readiness, trial. Is that called something specifically? It didn't. When I was watching, it just said plea agreement. So a plea agreement's different. So he, he, he pled... Did, when he was arraigned, he pled not guilty. Oh, is that what it's called? Arraigned? That's what I'm saying. No, like, no, what no. Was that's, the name you for get the arraigned. He was. He, he pled. How do you plead? Plead not guilty. Whatever. Oh, but well, or he entered the plea. Or uh, it depends. I, I think what he he pled guilty after right. he confessed. I'm just so just he, asking what the name of the yeah, court he, day is. I don't know what the name <laughs> of the court day is. He okay. entered a guilty. Uh, he uh, yeah. He pled guilty. So that was. This could be. Um, 
because this wasn't sentencing it was just his i guess the them enter they were talking about the plea agreement it's online i watched it it's 15 minutes long uh so it was february 9th of this year so basically his the plea agreement is that he'll get 20 years fixed life in what okay help me with this word dad in detriment in most jurisdictions the defendant must usually appear in person in order to enter a guilty plea especially if the charge is a felony Okay, so that's just what it was then. Yeah, so it's probably um, and he worked this all out with, uh, you know, his lawyer probably coached him through this, you know. Right. So okay, okay. what were you saying now? Help me with this word in in determinant. Is that the word I'm saying? Hold on, in in indeterminate. Indeterminate. Okay. My goodness. <laughs> okay. And so, you're pronouncing it wrong. What is it? Indeterminate. Indeterminate. Okay. So his plea agreement says that he'll get 20 years fixed, life and determined, credit for time served. Now, that is the recommendation, right, for the plea. Yep. That's the plea agreement recommendation. Yep. So the judge has discretion on when it comes to sentencing. So he can choose to follow that uh, recommendation or not. However, if he chooses, if the judge chooses not to follow the recommendation uh brian drips is allowed to withdraw his guilty plea yeah so and it's it's different jurisdictions and stuff there's slight differences but he's gonna probably you know there's still a little hearing and then the judge is gonna uh sentence him the, typically the judge doesn't really know what the plea agreement is and let's say someone pleads guilty and they're gonna accept five years in jail right and they'll say the judge hears the case, and then the the judge says, "I sentence you to ten years in jail." And then he he'll say, "But because of your plea agreement, you'll you'll go in for five. I guess. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Now, sometimes, you know, if the judge doesn't like the bag, like if it's a pretty heinous crime and they plead guilty, and um, then it's up. Sometimes the the time isn't you know. Um, it it doesn't matter. The judge can still sentence him, um, and then that's the way that the that the system can get him. So they'll give him the max, you know, max penalty. So there's different variants of that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, but it saves a, a big full trial, though. Same, right. You know. So he this also the plea agreement also waives his right to appeal. So he can't appeal mm-hmm. any of this. Uh, so basically what was a part of this, and again, I'd never seen this before. I'd never seen a, uh, like a court of them entering guilty plea. Uh, I've ne- I'd yeah. never seen them doing this. So the judge and the prosecutors actually requested that he specifically say what he was pleading to. So he yeah, had he to, to say what he yeah, did. Yeah, he has to understand that. The judge has to make right. sure he understands yeah, he, that. Oh, he asked him like yeah. a million times, do you yeah. understand what you're saying? Yep. And he he annoyed me. He's he's, you know, not a good person. He said, "Yeah, I killed her, but I don't remember it." If you say yeah. basically, yeah, I'm not going to deny it, but I don't remember it. So, so then the prosecution was like, "Okay, fine, but what about the knife? Tell us about the knife. What'd you do with the knife?" And he goes, "Listen, I brought it. I don't remember using it. I guess I did. That's it." It took him like ten minutes. When is to say his that. sentencing? So his sentencing is scheduled for April 27th. Okay, so this will. That might happen before this is aired. So yeah, I mean, I'll post it. Yeah, okay. We All won't right. do a whole other episode, no, but I'll no, post, post it on okay. the thing. Yeah, All right, good. All right. So, 
So that is it for the cases. That are the three. Those are the three updates we have. Those are the good cases. <clears throat> you know, good DNA stuff. Good police work. You know, good investigative work. Putting the pieces together. Yeah. Good cold case stuff. Yeah. Good. I mean, no, we were doing a uh, nothing but old cases there mm, for a while. Yeah. Yep. And then. I did you want to like briefly touch on the DNA? I think this is a case that we're gonna we we're probably gonna do. What's we can that? give like a little teaser to it. What's that? You know, the history of the DNA. Remember I was talking about that? Yeah, good. So I when we were when I was doing research for this, I was diving a little bit deeper into the history of DNA because it's been something that we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. We just didn't really go in depth. DNA was first identified by a Swiss chemist, Frederick Meischer, in the 1860s, right? And then um, 1953 is when it was recognized as the 3D double helix. Mm -hmm. And then by the 1980s is when labs started using DNA to establish paternity in cases. Mm -hmm. So all this time we've been talking about when DNA actually started being used for cases. Yeah. 1986. No, that that's being used. That wasn't for criminal cases, was it? Just being used in other things. Right. No, I was just giving a little yeah, history yeah, no, of DNA, no, no, no. and right, then right, and right. then I was saying, yeah, all this time we've been talking about when mm. DNA started being used in criminal cases. 1986. Yeah. 1986. So it was actually a geneticist who developed the genetic fingerprint. So the guy who developed that whole theory. So. They used it for a criminal case in 1986? That was the first time, oh, first wow. criminal case. It was Alex Jeffries, so he created the genetic fingerprint. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like the police officers, the investigators were like, hey, he did this, let's see if he can <laughs> look at DNA. Well, how did they solve that one, do you remember? Do you yeah. Know? yeah, so it was uh, two different girls. They had been raped and murdered. They were 15 years old. One was in 1983, and then the other was in 1986. So the first girl that was kind of a cold case, mm-hmm. and then in 1986, they had known about this Alex Jeffries, so they go to him, and the, this guy had actually, they had a suspect, and he was described as having learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. He actually confessed to one of the murders, right. but not the other. And so police wanted to really pin both murders on him. So they went to Alex Jeffries and was like, hey, can you help us solve this with all of that DNA stuff you're doing over there? And so Alex Jeffries comes in and he actually proves that the guy did not kill either of them. Now, Jeffries creates a genetic profile of for men in the area. So it's just that mm-hmm. the same profile that we just talked about. And they had, so they had just gotten every all the man, men in the area. They just went to them and got all their DNA. So and, they were actually matching DNA in 1986 then. Yeah, that's what he was. That's what he was doing. Wow. Someone actually went to the police and had overheard this guy, Colin Pitchfork, had been bragging that he had given someone else's DNA to the police. So someone told the oh, police wow. that, yeah. So they brought him in, and Alex Jeffries matched his DNA to both crime scenes. Oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. I think yeah. that might be something to look forward to for us talking about. Oh, you talking about do that case? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that would be cool. It's the first DNA All right. case. All right, awesome. Um, and then, you know, after this, you know, that's just crazy that that was the first one. After this, DNA research just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now... 2021 we have the genetic genealogy right so from 1986 to now yeah pretty crazy mm-hmm. all right yeah so i think that's it yep that is so that was just something different for everyone a little update a little recap uh we hope you guys enjoyed that you know a little, little different 
Uh, so if you are still enjoying listening to us, please go over to Apple Podcast. Uh, give us a rate and review. That really is just going to help us get heard and get out there a little bit better by more people so we can share what we're doing with you know, more of you guys. And then you can go follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. You can interact over there and then you can send us voice messages on anchor.fm. And we might be able to put those in some episodes, plug those in some places. We will see you guys next week. We will be back to a regular, regular episode, episode. <laughs> regular right. case. All right. Later. Bye. Bye.